Hello and welcome to Health Outreach Partners podcast series, The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. In this eight-part series, we'll hear from subject matter experts on the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly its effects on mental health and well-being. In each episode, you'll hear from different members of our healthcare workforce, community members, and Health Outreach Partners' own team about challenges and lessons learned from the pandemic. We appreciate the importance of reflection and recognition on the profound impacts COVID-19 and the pandemic response efforts have had on our lives and on our mental health. We are excited to share lessons learned from our esteemed guests and imagine a safer, healthier world for all. In this episode, we will discuss health disparities experienced by special populations and the BIPOC community during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for tuning in. Hi, my name is Eva Anasanamo from HOP. I will be your host today. Even before the pandemic, access to quality and culturally competent physical and mental health for communities of color have been lacking in the United States. We know that the COVID-19 pandemic disproportionately affected communities of color and exacerbated the existing health disparities and social determinants of health. Unfortunately, federal race and ethnic data on COVID-19 testing, hospitalization, and vaccine uptake is not comprehensive enough to represent people's experience of the pandemic in the United States. Even though the data may be incomplete, we know that the COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated existing health disparities, including those existing for access to mental health services. Racial disparities within the, the system of mental health are well documented. In order to bridge gaps in services, mental health providers emphasize culturally competent services, reducing the stigma surrounding mental health and diversifying the mental health provider workforce. Today, we are excited to welcome Yvonne Monteverde, a licensed marriage and family therapist based in Los Angeles, California. Yvonne has a breadth of experience serving communities across the state and her work is currently focused on serving patients who have experienced trauma, PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Most of her clients are Latinx and also supports clients who receive medical benefits. We are so excited to have Yvonne with us today to discuss her perspective on the mental health impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on communities of color. So. You're welcome. Thank you, too. You have a wide range of experience serving the community in different capacities, including an outpatient clinic and as a case manager at a high school. At the start of the pandemic, you were providing mental health services to geriatric patients over the phone. Wow. Today, um, your current work focuses on serving mostly Latinx patients who have experienced trauma, depression, and anxiety. Can you please explain uh, or describe the barriers to care you've observed between these roles. Yes, and thank you again for having me, and I'm really honored to be here and really happy to uh, provide my experience and my perspective. So I really, truly appreciate being here today. So a couple of things specifically for that company that I was working with, the organization, uh, the geriatric population is it's a difficult group to 
provide mental health services too for a couple of reasons. As they grow older, geriatric Latinx members are they're either alone, and uh, I found this to be the case with a lot of my clients. Uh, they were, I think, 85 and plus. I think I had one client who was 99 years old, which I was very impressed. So they typically have have lived alone or they're living with family. And of course, within our community, within the Latinx community, we are very protective of our parents, very protective of our family. And it really is if 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 there's a stranger, an outsider, we're very suspicious, very worried. However, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to the doctor, that is fully a trusting relationship that is created. And so most of the clients that I would see, they would either just leave for appointments, doctor's visits, and then come back um, unless they were very active. So culturally, it's it can be, I guess, challenging. And then the other piece of it that I saw was that it was difficult to assess because it was not in person and that there were mental health challenges that they were reporting. Uh, For example, I had a lot of clients that reported, I just want God to take me, I'm I'm tired. And we see this as a clinician as passive suicidal ideation, which they're not intending, there's no action there, there's no there's no means but we definitely did have to do quite a bit of assessment and determine whether okay are you saying this because something really terrible happened or are you saying this because there really is some attempt or some means i do remember one specific person sharing with me that i just want to leave i i just want to be with my child my adult child who who died and so There were a lot of things that, I mean, we tend to, you know, geriatric folks, they're very, especially in our communities, they're very resilient and they've been through so much. And so the the fact that we're honoring and we are giving them space and we are giving them that ability to talk to us in a way that's non-threatening and asking, you know, we're coming from the doctor's office, how are you feeling today? What's on your mind? Has anything difficult happened to you in the past year? How is COVID for you? Has any is there anyone that you've personally been affected? So we were just beginning to see a lot more isolation happening and just increased risk for them. And I think another barrier as well was trying to encourage self-care. Um which was very limited at this time, uh, switching to just the general, uh, my teen clients or my 18 to 65 year old clients. It was really difficult to encourage that because the community was very limited at that time. Folks could not see their loved ones. Maybe that was their source of support or even go to the gym being that was maybe their main coping strategy, um, or even attend the church service that I know there's quite a bit of churchgoers in our community, whether that's Christian, Catholic, Jehovah's Witness. I mean, there's so many different communities within our Latinx community. And so I know that was 
another barrier that that I observe personally in the clinician. Great. Oh my God. Excellent point. Like you bring out so many great things that I can relate to. I know our listeners are going to be able to relate to. I love the last part where you, you talked about the various present, which is, um, you know, isolation and self-care. I know that you mentioned geriatrics as one of the primary focus for you and how they have <laughs> resiliency and them having a trusting, you know, all the cultural um, dynamics that play into things that go into their head. And as, as, a, as a woman of color myself, even though I'm not old enough to be in that space, I do have that thought sometimes, you know, the resiliency, the trust in others that are not family or people that I've known. In this area, um, I want to touch on um, another barrier that I think that I think that could have been a huge issue in terms of geriatrics, which is technology. Can you shed a little light on how technology played a role in in access for these uh, particular group of people? Yes, definitely. I had a couple at one point, I think I had three different jobs. So, but one of them was the company with the phones. Another one was, it was in person offering uh, support to cancer patients. And then another one was my private practice setting. And so technology was a huge barrier for accessing mental health. I mean, just speaking on the geriatric population, I mean, they're not technology savvy they really I think over the phone is the biggest that was one of the assets that we had is we were contacting them with the phone but it really depends I think on where a lot of our community comes from and if they're coming from a bigger city there might be a little bit um, if they're immigrating from a bigger city they might be coming from you know, maybe there's a lot of technology, smartphones, I mean, internet access, uh, whereas maybe if someone immigrated from kind of a smaller town, there might not be as much access there. There might not be Wi-Fi accessibility. And so you see this kind of range of who is savvy and who is not. And so I had one client who really was very insistent on in-person and I had to be firm and say, I'm sorry, we, I cannot see you in person because of the pandemic. So slowly but surely, she was able to, to get access. And I think it's really interesting, this, this, um, this shift in kind of accommodating to that range. And I would say technology, you know, getting on a Zoom call, um, it was very step-by-step, for example, with my cancer support that I was doing there was really teaching these clients how how do we okay we click on this button we you know we have to start the audio these are things that I think we take for granted as um, maybe someone who's a lot more tech savvy and kind of introducing someone who's never done it before or may not have access to maybe an niece or a nephew or a younger child who they're very tech savvy (laughs) so you I mean that was another interesting thing to see is you see this 
kind of bridging of the generations in a sense where the older generation went, oh, hey, come help me with this video thing that I need to, I need to see this therapist on and, <laughs> or I need to see this clinician on. And so you would see that bridging. So that, I mean, that was something very positive that I saw. Um, but again, if, if they didn't have access to someone who was much more tech savvy, I mean, kids these days are on iPads with two years old, three years old. Um, <laughs> they know exactly how to run everything. Um, if they didn't have access to it, then yeah, there was a little bit of a difficulty and a challenge. Oh my God, the points you make, the difference in the population and how they, we access different things and you were so right about three years old, um, having the ability to network itself around technology. It's amazing how they do it. I don't even know how, <laughs> but this is really good to hear that. Uh, I feel like some part of what you mentioned was that some of these barriers were addressed, which is teaching these people how to use you know click this button do this go from here um, and that was one of the questions that I was going to ask you was um, the specific barriers and you did touch base on it and I loved how um, your team and yourself went ahead to you know teach people um, going back to the one of the, well, the first questions the answer you gave on that which was the in-person therapy that you gave and the care that you gave to people in person were you did you notice that there was any kind of fear because you know COVID came with a lot of fear a lot of anxiety because you don't know who the next person standing next to you what they brought and I, I just kind of wanted to touch you to talk a little bit about the in-person aspect of it like between the population like which population was more and I think I guess you said that the geriatrics were more into wanting to have that in-person service um can you shed a little light on that particular um you know in-person scenario as the COVID-19 pandemic was the most scariest thing that we've witnessed Yes, absolutely. We, I think we as a community, and I can only speak for my community, the Latinx community, I think we're just such a, and I think we share this with other um, BIPOC groups as well, that we're such a personal community. We, we need that hugs or kisses on the cheek or, you know, here's some water, here's some tea, would you... You know, I, I go to my aunt's home and she's already asked, has a plate for me on the table. And we're very, very just personal when it comes to, and that I would say that also comes with our care and in person, um, especially when it comes to mental health. I mean, I, as a clinician, recognize that there is a power imbalance there in the beginning when I'm asking, hey, please trust me with all these deep, dark personal secrets that you might have that you may not have shared with someone. And I recognize that and I do acknowledge that at the beginning of, of my sessions personally and recognize that establishing that rapport quickly and establishing that, hey, I'm a safe person, you can trust me. It was challenging over video. I have someone else well I don't know if there's someone else listening I don't know if there's someone else in the room with you and so there is 
of course, there's going to be some mistrust there with technology and um, just acknowledging, okay, I'm, I am alone. I take confidentiality very seriously when it comes to my clients. But yes, of course, absolutely. That would, it's hard to mimic that I'm going and walking into an office, I'm sitting down on a couch and I'm seeing just one person in front of me as my therapist, as my clinician. And it's, it was very hard, you know, it, it can be very hard to mimic that over video, just the environment, how you're feeling, the way that you see them and they see you. Um, all of these factors that I think as a therapist, it's, it's so important for us to see in person. It's so important to, to kind of assess, are they warm and bundled up? Are they looking away? Are they making eye contact? Of course, keeping in mind culturally, some, some populations don't make eye contact. And that's also important for us to keep in mind. But all of these factors are very important too. And just noticing that, I think that's definitely harder to do. And especially if if there were parents around and everyone was at home. And so it was hard to also have a confidential space for some of my clients. I mean, with kiddos and if they're under five years old, they were coming into the room and, you know, here's my client trying to share something that may have happened in the past week or processing something very heavy. And then, you know, right away they're starting to go into parent mode. And so that was also, I think, a challenge as well on the video front to one, establish rapport and <laughs> have that confidential space that they were able to do where in, in an office in person, that's really easy. You already have your childcare, you already, they're, they're at school. But during COVID, everyone was at home, everybody, the dog, the bird, the... <laughs> the three kiddos everyone was at home so interesting yes I lived that life even though I wasn't home I was working um back then I was working in pharmacy so I do know what you're talking about and I, I love all these interesting things that you brought out having that trusting person like it's my secret safe with you like you're this person that I've just seen. Are you, are you a safe person? And the family orientation, I'm from Ghana. So I, I know what you mean by that. Like you go to an auntie's house and they're feeding you a cow and everything that comes with a cow. So it, it, I, I know that COVID made it so hard because you couldn't see these people. You couldn't talk to these people. And this brings us to our next question because the, the there's this research um, that the Mental Health America did on um, the Latinx population, and it found out that about 49% of Latinx population say they or someone in their household had to take a pay cut or lost their job or even both due to the COVID-19 as compared to 33% of all U.S. adults. And the reason why I, I say that you shed some light on certain things is the fact that you talked about that dark deep place you know money is everything and money is nothing at the same time mm -hmm. that's what my parents tell me mm -hmm. and in a space where you're having a conversation and it's not an office space and 
it's home and people can hear through the walls and having to open up about not being a provider, especially if you're a male figure or, or a woman or the provider of the family or there's a picker, you know, all these things and not wanting, because I know one of the things that I do in my household is even when I'm going through tough times, sometimes I keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. and not letting other people in and sharing those deep, deep dark secrets that uh, only I want to take the burden on. And then I also like, like the fact that therapy is a place, a safe space for me. I, I do therapy as well. So it's a safe space and not having to come into the office and sit there and just cry my eyes out because I can't cry at home for my three-year-old to see or for my mom to see that I'm crying, you know? So I guess I want to understand how have you seen this impact your work and the people you serve, not getting a paycheck, not coming home with money, not having a title as a job. Like, so how have you seen that impact your work and the people you serve? Yes, absolutely. I I want to say at the beginning of the pandemic, the primary complaint of my clients was financial stress and the anxiety that comes with that. For a lot of us, yes, absolutely. I I agree that, I mean, financial means and money, like like you said, it's, it is everything and it is nothing. Um, it, I think it's security for a lot of clients. It's do we are we gonna have a roof over our head are we gonna have enough to eat are we uh there's already this very difficult situation happening with this pandemic this virus that we don't know about and so i think not a majority but there is uh for some families one sole financial provider and if they became sick that was it it was it was we don't know if they're gonna get better we don't know if they're gonna get worse we don't know if they are going to die because of covid i mean these were a lot of uncertainties and these were a lot of anxieties and i mean i know for especially persons who are immunocompromised i mean that added a whole other level to it that we're working and they already need to protect themselves i know one particular lady that i have in mind I mean, she her cancer was in remission for years. However, she still needed to protect herself, but she was also struggling with financial means. And so you saw this decision was very hard, very extreme decision where, you know, you had to choose financial means over health and you had to choose security and money over and that was really challenging to hear in sessions and to see and to witness and understanding that I mean for my teen clients especially I think you spoke on you know not being able to cry in front of your children and I do feel that with the parents for my teen clients I mean they shared the same the same feelings like I can't I can't show weakness I can't I have to be strong for my children However, I know I do recognize that my teen clients, they they knew what was going on. They knew what was happening. And whether intentional or not, I think children just have this ability to absorb, which is not a bad thing, right? But 
they, I think seeing their parents having to choose financials over their health, it was extremely anxiety provoking for them. I mean, one client that I have in mind too, thinking, well, my parents need to work, but that makes me worried for them and their health, whether they're going to catch COVID. And then if they catch COVID, then what will happen with, with my family? And so I think it definitely, it not only impacted from the sole provider, but it trickled down throughout the family and the mental health of the family. So definitely saw that. Yes, yes. My God, COVID. It just has done a lot of things. And I can relate in that aspect where that one client of yours had, a, you know, cancer because my mom has been in remission for years and she's a nurse. But the minute we heard of COVID, she stayed home. Yes. We made sure she stayed home because not only is she supporting me financially, but she's supporting my daughter. So that's the help, you know, and the fear of losing my mom to COVID was very top priority. No, I would want my child to be able to see her grandma for the longest time, if possible, because I never had that. So I wanted her to have that experience. Mm -hmm. So it is really, really, I find it very personal that people had to go through that, you know, and I was also blessed that I had the means to keep my my mom at home and still, you know, provide for them. And, you know, whereas other people didn't have that. But one thing that you mentioned that I think that our listeners will appreciate is choosing to cry or not to cry, to show weakness. And we all know our community or the communities of color, that's one of the things that they teach you that it'll be strong, whether you're a woman, you're a man, you're a child, you're always teaching, be strong. And that comes in play with the cultural competency part. And um, it goes back, it, it's going to dive into a question that I have for you. Um, because one of the research that we did on mental health care access indicates that um, Compared to people who are white, communities of color are less likely to have access to mental health services. At the same time, given the impact of our essential workforce and caregivers, many of whom are of communities of color, from communities of color, and need for mental health services is unprecedented. One of the suggested approach is to promote and provide quality mental health services is culturally competent care. What does this mean to you? And how do you observe the impacts of culturally competent care on your patient's population? I think that, especially for communities of color and specifically the Latinx, for, for the purposes of you know, my own perspective, there's so many layers to this. One of the ones that I was thinking about actually this morning that I wanted to add is that that kind of isolation aspect of kind of what you touched on you know you can't be you have to be strong you can't be weak you um, everything we need to keep within the family the other one that I thought about was you know what are what are people going to say what are people going to say if they know that you're going to a therapist what are people going to say if they know that you're going to uh, 
that clinic or on medication or uh, what are they going to say? And that brings in honor and kind of family and pride, um, which we are a very prideful community. <laughs> but I do, going back to your question, keeping in mind all of these things, keeping in mind that there is already a lot of strengths within our culture, you know, whichever culture you're working with, as far as like the BIPOC community, uh, for example, with a lot of the geriatric patients that I worked with, dichos or sayings uh, were most beneficial in understanding some concepts of self-care or incorporating boundaries, especially those that may be a faith background. Um, and so there's this saying, I know that, you know, be strong. And if I would encounter a client that said, be strong, I have to be strong. And they happen to be maybe of Catholic or Christian origin, bringing in, well, remember what God said, ayúdate y yo te ayudaré. Help yourself and I will help you. And I would utilize these sayings or these dichos to, to really incorporate and really bring in cultural perspective and then also that psychoeducation piece of like, yes, we, we need to be strong, but we also need to help ourselves. And part of that is maybe talking or sharing or acknowledging that everything is connected or, you know, so many, there's so many dichos and there's so many sayings that it would take a whole other podcast episode to go through all of them. <laughs> we need to bring you back. I know. <laughs> Just an understanding as well that there is so much stigma surrounding mental health in the community that there's a psychoeducation piece. And I do incorporate this in the beginning, especially when I see there's some hesitancy or it's a first time person who's engaging in therapy services, that uh, there is this stigma and just bringing it out in the open you know, it's the elephant in the room. It's like, oh, I don't know why I'm here. And, you know, I'm, I'm here because people told me that it's something good to do, but I don't know exactly how this works. And so I really bring that into the room and say, well, what have you heard about mental health? What have you heard about therapy? That it's for crazy people, that it's, <laughs> that it's you take medication because you, you can't handle your problems. And, you know, all of these things that it really comes from just, you know, misinformation. And also, which we saw a lot of that with COVID as well, a lot of misinformation <laughs> out there about the vaccines. Um, so this is no different. We see a lot of misinformation about mental health and therapy in our community. And so just really acknowledging that and keeping that in mind will, I mean, automatically activate, I think, culturally competent care because you're aware of these things and you're bringing them into the room but also I mean clinicians who are for BIPOC background there are certain elements that I don't have to explain if I was coming from a white Anglo-Saxon background I don't know that I would understand dichos or I don't know that I would understand you know certain aspects and so sometimes when I you know catch okay someone's speaking Spanish and I start speaking to them in Spanish um they automatically light up and they're like, oh my goodness, like, you know, da, 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 da. and they go in their native home language. And that is so comforting to them. So they're already 
I guess they're already in a vulnerable place. They're already in an uncomfortable place. And so anything you can do to add to some comfort and some comfort level helps. Yes. Oh my goodness. The favorite part of your answer is, I don't want people to think I'm crazy. That's across most communities of color because I know I have that in my community. (laughs) I remember telling my auntie, I'm going to therapy. The first thing she told me, you don't need that. You need Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had to explain that, okay, Jesus is not going to fix what's going on inside me. Jesus is going to help me in some ways, but I need to help myself. Like you said, um, people don't understand these type of things, but I generally can relate to everything you've said so far but also on a very happy note community resilience as many have been calling it the COVID-19 pandemic was an unprecedented time we saw the world unite and communities come together in act of resilience creativity and passion have you witnessed communities of color coming together to support each other through this pandemic Yes, I would say, I would say that is the most um, community was the thing that hit that COVID hit the most. But at the same time, it also kind of challenged our communities to, to continue to build communities, It, it just navigated us to well, if we can't see you in church, let's do a church uh, zoom, and let's meet there. And if we cannot have a health fair, uh, right, it challenges us to, well, maybe we reach out to community leaders that are still out there. And there were so many organizations that were still out there in the midst of COVID and helping so many communities out with so many things from shelter to food to, I mean, they did not stop. And so I think that was one of the things that was so beautiful about it, of course, in this very dark time, there was something that came very beautiful from it. For example, one cancer group that I was, cancer support group that I was running, one of the, the ladies that was in there, it happened to be breast cancer. One of the ladies in there said, hey, there's someone that I know, it's word of mouth, uh, they're in Visalia. And if you know where Visalia is in California, their their resources are very limited and so I did advocate spoke to them on the phone she said there's there's no resources here and I really really want to be a part of your group because I'm going through my own treatment and my own chemo and so definitely advocated for that and so I do think that while yes it could be a barrier for some of our population the fact that we were able to do zoom and we were able to do it assisted us in reaching maybe clients that we would have never reached before and only through word of mouth or maybe just targeting LA community we were able to accommodate these folks that were maybe farther than LA much farther so the fact that we had online groups was actually in her favor and working with community leaders uh, was also instrumental in finding out how we could offer more services, what else we could do, you know, clients who were immunocompromised, they did not have to compromise themselves. And they were able to, you know, one of the biggest things I remember from my cancer work was that maybe there were some clients in the hospital, and 
this particular lady who was from Visalia, I mean, she was joining in on the group while she was receiving her chemo, her chemotherapy treatment. And so there was accessibility there in that they didn't have to miss their group. They could still access uh, mental health care, which they still needed while still being in chemotherapy treatment, which sometimes it can be hours and hours where you're there. So there was also, I found a strong encouragement within the community to socialize, even if it was virtual, even if it was people were recognizing this is very isolating for us and we don't have our community. And so without the support of maybe extended family members, church, you know, things that people would normally do, that now there was an encouragement, okay, how can we kind of develop things or maybe mold them or evolve them in the time of COVID? And so I know for a fact we had um, we had to kind of shift um, and I utilized the, the cancer support group work that I did specifically just because there were so many so many things that were addressed and I'm really proud of just the, the way in which we handle things and uh, so we did recruit volunteers to provide lifestyle online classes to assist in mindfulness, meditation, Spanish, sometimes even kickboxing. And so while, yes, there was a lot of challenges, I did also find that there was also this encouragement to let us stay, you know, strong, you know, not not in a uh, stay strong and hold in everything kind of way, but in a let's stay strong and let's Let's continue to, to fight against this COVID-19, which is also impacting our mental health and our communities. Wow. We are grateful for all the work that you guys do. Honestly, I wish we had a lot more time because there's so many questions now that I want to ask. Um, thank you so much for your time, Yvonne. Also, thank you for the work that you've done even before COVID, during COVID and in COVID. It takes, I say anyone that does any kind of care has a big heart because it takes a big heart to do this. And we do appreciate all the work and the time. But before we wrap up today, is there anything you would like our listeners to take away from today's conversation? Yes, definitely. I did want to mention or give a shout out to um, a resource at latinxtherapy.com. It's a directory for those searching for Latinx therapists. And so I found it to be just incredibly useful, resourceful. You can search through so many therapists. There are still a lot of therapists that are doing online telehealth sessions, myself included. So you can also filter that. And it's been an incredible resource. I know for a lot of my clients who, when I was on there, they they mentioned, hey, I'm so glad I found you. And I'm so glad that I don't have to explain certain things to you that, you know, a therapist that I was matched with before, I had to explain so many things. And now I, I don't have to. And so it's really just been a great resource. And so I do want to give a shout out to the team. Adriana's great. And they have so many resources too on Instagram and things like that. So definitely wanted to share that as well. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your presence. Uh, thank you for all the wonderful insights. Your passion for your job truly speaks itself and all the wonderful things that you have done and doing and will continue to do. Thank you again, Yvonne, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much for having me. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Health Outreach Partners podcast, The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. This publication was supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration of the United States Department of Health and Human Services under grant number U3FCS4184801000, a national training and technical assistance cooperative agreement under American Rescue Plan Act funding in the amount of $211,821. This information or content and conclusions are those of the author and should not be construed as the official position or policy of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thank you.